0: Welcome back to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, First day of July here as we continue to roll through the summer. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully two months away from the start of college football season. And uh, definitely uh, getting closer to that time. Uh, Practice is getting ready to start, hopefully, in a few weeks. Uh, TBT getting ready to start this week. So uh, starting to get back into that feel of more and more sports starting up.
1: Yeah, I'll take it. I mean, it feels it feels really weird because it feels like we've, or we're going to go a little bit from zero to sixty, or like five to sixty, <laughs> from Ohio State's perspective, where you have just voluntary workouts, and all of a sudden, in less than a month, hypothetically, everyone will be able to be together. Um, that's that's going to be a little bit crazy to follow along with, but you know, I. I'll say I'm interested to see how it goes (laughs) and I'm excited at least this week to, to get TBT underway. I know, I mean, it's, it's fascinating even there. Like you just, you get daily updates essentially with, you know, who's missing because of the coronavirus because, you know, Keyshawn Woods was first. And then as we learned on, on Tuesdays, Jay Sean Tate won't play in at least the first game because he tested positive as well. Yeah. I think it kind of hits home
0: the reality that when we think ahead to this fall, that, most likely there's going to be points in the season where college football players test positive for COVID-19 and they're going to be out for a couple of weeks. And I think that kind of hits home that reality that, like, you know, I think, you know, if you think of, like, the weekly uh, status report that we started getting last year, like, we could get the status report on a Friday morning and all of a sudden a bunch of star players show up because they uh, tested positive for COVID-19. I think that's a reality uh, that we could be looking looking at this fall.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it really is absurd to say that. Like that sounds crazy. It really does. But you know, the closer and closer we get, and the more real this this virus is, it you know, it makes sense that that might become a reality.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt that that this is not going to be a normal football season. No. Uh, we've said that over yeah. and over again. We're going to continue to say it over and over again because it's just it's just not. Uh, it, it, this is going to be a a different. Fall, unlike we've we've ever seen, um, and we just hope that we're gonna get you know still a full schedule, uh, still as much football as possible, and so uh, we're gonna we're gonna spend the rest of the show mostly just talking normal football. We're not gonna uh, we talked a lot about bad stuff last week, so uh, not really anything new to report there. Uh, we're not gonna really uh, get into that much more here, but obviously uh, that caveat still applies to everything we're talking about. That uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a weird season. There's there's no doubt about that, but Wanted to talk some this week about the class of 2018 and and them going into their third year at Ohio State, because I've been writing about that. I've been doing a series on 11 Warriors, looking at each of the third-year players. and I know you've talked about it here on this podcast as well, just about how big a year this is going to be for that class of 2018, because this is a class that was the highest ranked class in Ohio State history. Uh, or highest-rated class in Ohio State history so far. That's uh, almost certainly going to be surpassed by the upcoming class of 2021. But this is a class that came in with a lot of hype. And if you really look at what they've done so far for two years, they don't have a ton to show for it.
1: No, they don't. They don't. It is fascinating, though, because, I mean, I think that we've had this conversation a few times, but it is worth mentioning, like, in my opinion... Like, this class is going to determine whether or not Ohio State wins a national title because there's so many players in this class who have to step up. And, you know, really, like, you need a couple of them to become stars. Like, that's when I look across this team, I think that, you know, you have guys like Nick petit Frere Teron Vincent, Tyreek Smith, Taraja Mitchell, Josh Proctor, like, all those guys – and plenty more stepping into what will be by far their biggest roles yet, and especially, you know, some of those guys are replacing guys who are either just really solid, really good players, like a like a like Josh Proctor um, filling in for a Jordan Fuller, or you have guys like, you know, Ty- Tyler Friday and and Tyreek Smith, who are all of a sudden going to try to replace some of what Chase Young brought. And I think that that's just that's a lot to ask for but like you said this is what this is arguably the best group of talent Ohio State has ever brought in from the high school ranks. So to me, I think it's reasonable to expect a ton and and, and it's reasonable for us to focus on, on on them so much. I mean if we want to include him like this is where Justin Fields would be too.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you there that but- this class is going to you know play a big role in in maker breaking this season and i don't i don't really consider justin fields to be a part of his class just because he wasn't one of the original signees but no doubt i mean him going into his third year he is the most important player on the team there's there's no question about that And, and certainly you know adding him from the transfer market is a big reason why uh, we're going to be talking about the Buckeyes as a national championship contender this year because uh, he elevates them uh, to, you know, a different level. I mean, you just look at that class, uh, you know, we the unfortunate news this past week that Matthew Baldwin, uh, their quarterback in this class, unfortunately had to retire from football because of back and knee injuries he had been dealing with. And, you know, he's now at, you know, at TCU, and he's going to continue to be a student there. But you, you just think of a difference there the quarterbacks who are on this roster, I mean, none of the quarterbacks that they recruited prior to this most recent class, bringing in C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller, are still on the roster. So if it wasn't for Justin Fields, uh, who knows where this quarterback room would be right now.
1: Dan, who is... You know, you're you you're obviously going one by one through all the players in, in your series on, on the website. And, you know, I wrote an article um, before you started about sort of the totality of this class. Who's maybe the one player who you're looking at and you and and, you know the commonality between all these guys is you know they're stepping they're going to be stepping into um their biggest role yet who is the one guy who you think that they have to be good they really do they they have to be good and and maybe even great right away for Ohio State to be what Ohio State thinks it should be yeah there's a few guys
0: who I think could answer that question but I think probably the top guy for me would be Josh Proctor because you look at everything that Ohio State lost in that secondary uh, and, and especially you know that that safety position with the kind of defense they've been running you need a guy at that safety position who you can really rely on on the back end of that secondary and, and I think they're looking at Josh Proctor to be that guy. I think, you know, Marcus Hooker is another guy in that same class who I think will get some playing time there. But I think Josh Proctor is a guy that they look at as as, as most likely being that guy who's going to be that deep safety. And, you know, we've seen some great flashes from him. We also saw uh, some bad flashes. We saw him uh, completely whiff on a long Trevor Lawrence run that really changed of a college football playoff semifinal game last year. So uh, that's the guy I look at above anyone else that I that I say, you know, this guy, I mean, he's got a ton of potential. I, I mean, I think he's a potential early round future NFL draft pick if he lives up to his potential. I think he's got that kind of ability. But we've got to see it this year.
1: Okay, well, I'm a little disappointed because that was going to be the guy that I picked too. Um, but know, I'll, I'll go somewhere else for my answer, and I'll say, I'll say seven banks um, because, you know, like when I think about – it's funny because both of our answers are in the secondary because I think, you know, we heard a lot last year about Ohio State returning its secondary to BIA status because Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett, they've been open about the year before. They didn't think that they were good enough, and I think – you know, when when you lose a Jordan Fuller, you lose a Jeff Okuda and a Damon Arnett, both of whom were first round picks. That is a ton to replace. And I think that you know, in a perfect world, I think Josh Proctor is is more talented than Jordan Fuller. I think he can be better than Jordan Fuller, especially as a playmaker. Um, so I think that I think he's super important. But when I think about cornerback, like I think that Seven Banks and Cam Brown are both supremely talented, and I think it's a matter of them putting it together. And I think if they do that. I think it'll be really important because you don't have a Chase Young going after the, pa- going after the quarterback this year. You've got Tyreek Smith, you have Jonathan Cooper, Zach Harrison, Teron Vincent, Tyler Friday, Javante Jean-Baptiste. All those guys are talented, but like we've said before, um, and we'll say again, like we need to see a little bit more production from them before we crown them. And I think if you can have a secondary, um, if you can have cornerbacks like, uh, who, who are producing like first-round, second-round picks... Like, I think that that can elevate an entire defense and it can make – and it can make it can take it can take a lot of the pressure off of the defensive line and the defense and the defensive front to get the kind of pressure that Ohio State's been used to. And I think that that's when I think about the defense as a whole. Like I, I do look around for guys of who can take pressure off because there's so many players who are stepping into new roles. And this is why when we talk about the linebackers a little bit more, this is what I'll talk about with Pete Warner's. I think Pete Warner can almost take the pressure off of other guys. He can do things that other guys can't allowing other people um to to take advantage of what they do and 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 what i when i think about uh what seven banks can offer like he's the kind of guy who, i think a year and a half ago greg Schiano said was going to be the next great cornerback at ohio state and we saw flashes of that last season if he can develop into that and you have a duo of sean wade and, and seven banks on the outside i really do think that that, that would be that would be special
0: yeah seven banks would have been in my top three because You're right. I mean, I think both him and Cam Brown are important guys that that need to step up. And Tyreek Johnson as well. I mean, Tyreek Johnson was a a five-star recruit. I think think Seven Banks and Cam Brown are probably ahead of him at this point. But uh, out of that group, at least one of them, I'd say really at least two of them, really got to step up this year because other than Sean Wade – uh, Ohio State's just completely unproven at that position. So uh, they absolutely uh, need guys to step up there. I mean, the other guy that I, I considered when you asked me that question who I'd put right up there is Tommy Togiai, because I think uh, as, as young and inexperienced and thin, really, that Ohio State is a defensive tackle, I think Tommy Togiai is a guy who I have a ton of confidence in at that nose tackle position, but I think he's a guy who really needs to step up and, and be a star of that group this year.
1: Yeah, and in the same light, I, I might throw in my personal rankings, trying Vincent ahead just because I feel like I have more confidence in what Tommy Togia is like I would be pretty shocked if the season started and all of a sudden you're like wow Ohio State's nose tackle really getting pushed around like I I'm not I don't feel like I'm gonna live in a world where that's a reality and I I feel like I could live in a world where you know you look at the three technique and you're just not seeing the kind of the kind of um, penetration that you would really want out of that position because Teron Vincent's a, a guy who, you know, obviously had a had an injury that sidelined him the entirety of last season, but when he came into Ohio State he was that five star talent. He was the top defensive tackle in America. And, you know, if he can harness that talent finally in his third year and, and stay healthy, I, like I like I've said before, I think he can I think he can swing um, what Ohio State has in its defensive tackles.
0: Sorry if you guys can hear the noise. My laptop, as we're recording here, has decided to uh, get, start messing with me and get all loud. So uh, oh, sorry I if you can. about
1: that? Sounds like it's. Yeah, okay I, I was getting a little
0: scared there because as you're talking, I started getting the <laughs> spinning wheel thing and I, I thought oh, I was about to lose you. So I was getting a little scared there. But hopefully, uh, things will settle down here momentarily. Uh, but, you know, getting back to our conversation on, on the third year, guys. Are you a little bit disappointed with fist class so far just based on the amount of hype that they came in with that we haven't seen a little more?
1: I would say I'm just I, I would say I'm a little bit disappointed but at the same time um, I think if you look around, it's not that Ohio that, that, the, that these players are getting beat out by guys who I just think are not very good. like if you look just at the top like Nick Nicholas Petit Frere got beat out by Brandon bone I thought Brandon bone was good last year. Like Tyreek Johnson and Cam Brown and Seven Banks, they were behind Sean Way, Jeff Okuda, and Damon Arnett. Like, I can't, I can't really talk about them too poorly. <laughs> that's, that's a heck of a trio to, to get, be stuck behind. Um, if you look at the defensive line, I do think maybe I would have expected a little bit more from Tyreek Smith last year and, and uh, Tyler Friday and Javante Jean-Baptiste. I think, that, I think it's fair to have hope for a little bit more from them. And the same with Jalen Gill. Um, Jerry Record, I think has been fine he, he obviously hasn't got a ton of the ton of the tu- uh, of the um, touches of the targets that maybe some people would hope but I thought I think he's been solid and same with to he's had multiple veterans in front of him like I just think if you go down the line I think it's fair to say you're, you're a little unimpressed thus far but I do think a lot of these guys in general have just been blocked by pretty good players and if you want to make the case of guys who, maybe you expected more of early, you can we're gonna have the linebacker conversation later.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you on all of that because I, I, I do. I think for the most part, these guys, it's not that they haven't, you know, been ready to play necessarily. It's just been that they've had uh, you know, players in classes before them who have done well and have have blocked on the depth chart. I mean I think if you look back to last season, you can't look back at last season and say at least, not to me. I don't. There's not any really one position I would look at and say, "Man, this guy should have been playing instead of this guy." I, you know, I think a couple of years ago when the defense was awful, I think there were a lot of people saying, "Why isn't this guy playing? Why isn't this guy playing?" But last year, I really don't think you could have that conversation because I think, uh, really, the, the lineups were what they should have been. So I, I think,
1: I think to to go off that, I think that if someone would have said that last year, it might have been. Well, why I I think some people would have wondered whether a two safety look would have been better to get Josh Proctor on the field, and I think that that was a fair take at the time. But I also um, think that you saw in the Fiesta Bowl why maybe they didn't go to that as often as some might have hoped. Yeah,
0: no, I I mean I, I think Proctor's definitely one of those guys that it, it, people have been clamoring to see more of, and. Uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of guys in this class that you know. I think fans are, are rightfully excited about wanting to see more of this year. So uh, I, I think I think we will. You know, I think we will see a lot more of a lot of these guys. I remember when you wrote your article, you you included a table in there of kind of what the guys' expected role arts are going to be. And other than a couple exceptions, for the most part, you expect almost all of these guys. To be on the 2 deep this year and to have s- some role.
1: Yeah, it's, it is It is funny when you just sort of parse it out because there are only a couple of them who have really been in major roles thus far, but collectively it does feel like this is their year because, you know, it, I think it's. I, I also think, I'll say this, I think it's tough for these guys because they're going to. Um, like a lot of them are replacing either multi-year starters or like a superstar like in Jeff Okuda or Chase Young like I think I I I do think it's generally going to be difficult for some of these players to live up to expectations even if someone like Master Teague was healthy like would you would you have projected a healthy Master Teague as a starter to be as good as J.K. Dobbins like that's that's that seems to be asking a lot like a Cam Brown or Seven Banks to be as good as Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett in year one like that's You're asking for a ton there. So I think that a lot of these guys are going to come in, and and because of their recruiting ranking and because of the fact they've been in the program for a couple years, a lot's going to be expected of them. And I think it's fair, generally. I just think it's also going to be tough, and there might be a couple guys who aren't having it click as quickly as possible. And I think whenever I go back to why maybe I think – I don't know if there are deficiencies or things that I'm just not as confident in about this team – like, I, I do think um, a lot of the time it, it, it's going to come back to the fact that I just don't know a ton about how these guys are going to look when the spotlight's on them and they've got to play Penn State and Michigan and play 80, 70, 80 snaps. Like, because you've seen some of these guys play you know, 5, 10 snaps here and there. You see some of them fill in for injury replacements like a Seven Banks did late last season. Um, but I, I, I don't think that you've seen most of these guys play the types of roles that they that they will this year.
0: The other thing I think is just interesting is that even though we other than Chris Olave, who of course we've seen play a ton, other we really haven't seen many of the others, many of these other guys play significant roles, yet I don't think my expectations for a lot of guys necessarily match up to like how they were ranked as recruits. Like Seven Banks is a guy we're both talking about. Cam Brown's a guy we're both talking about is You know, guys who I think were really high on you, if they were among the lower ranked recruits, uh, Master Teague's another guy who was among the lower ranked recruits in the class. But, you know, we saw good things from him last year. Obviously, his health is a big question. But, you know, he's a guy I think if if he's healthy enough to play, he's a guy who can, you know, be a really solid addition. To that rotation so when i'm projecting ahead to the season i'm not necessarily looking at well you know these guys who were the five stars are the guys who i really expect to be breakthrough stars Uh, some of the guys who are more lower ranked just based on what we've heard and what we've seen from them in limited action are the guys who i wouldn't be surprised if they're the breakthrough stars this year
1: i think the caveat to that though is that there are three guys who are still on the team who are ranked outside of the top 250 overall recruits in the country and one of them is chris olave so the other two guys are cam brown and marcus hooker and cam brown was a four-star prospect so the guys who are low ranked in this class comparatively are just not that low ranked nationally and i i'd honestly like i i would like to see um numerically like where does the fifth Lowest ranked guy on, that that remains on Ohio State on this team, ranking the Big Ten, because I feel like it would be pretty high um, in terms of the other twenty eighteen Big Ten classes.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I mean, even Marcus Hooker, who was signi- other than Alex Williams, who's no longer on the team, Marcus Hooker was significantly the lowest ranked guy of those who are still on the team, and well, his brother was pretty good at Ohio State, yeah, so uh, that. That was a big reason why he was he was recruited, and he se- he seems like a guy who's in line for some playing time this year as well.
1: Yeah, I, I'll say this: if we're, like the, the tough thing about this class is, it's really hard to find underrated guys. Like it's really hard because no one's underrated. I mean, everybody's basically a, th- a three or or sorry, a four or five star prospect. And the four-star prospects, a lot of them are just high-end four-stars, top 100 type guys. But I think Marcus Hooker stands out, like you said, because he's so lowly rated compared to everybody else. I mean, Cam Brown right now is the third lowest rated recruit in that 2018 class. So he's ranked 353 in the country. If you double his ranking... Then you finally get to Marcus Hooker, who's at 640. Like, that that gap between them is so big. But I'll say this about Marcus Hooker. Like, he's the kind of guy who, you know, oftentimes it's hard to know because we're not at every single practice. It's hard to know exactly what is happening behind the scenes, who is making a surge, and, and maybe who's taking more time to develop. And a lot of that, you know, for us is done by who comes up in conversations with coaches and players. And Marcus Hooker's name... I just feel like I I've, I heard it a lot last year. Yep. And and it's because I mean maybe it's because people brought up Josh Proctor's name and you know I think a lot of people heard heard that and you know maybe you know they see what marcus hooker's doing and they they compare it to what Josh Proctor's doing and I think a lot of people maybe don't see the kind of separation that those of us who are on the outside who don't watch every single practice think and I, I I think that he's someone who could really surprise this year because as we've talked about there are a ton of highly rated dudes on this team and he's not one of them
0: yep i'm I'm right there with you on that i' that's the impression I get as well just when we talk to coaches and players that they like Hooker, and that that gap between Proctor and Hooker is probably not as big uh, as as it's made out to be. But I, I think it's I just think it's interesting because uh, you know you talk about I mean you talk about a Cam Brown. He's talking about running a 4:240 and being the fastest DB in the country, and we're talking about him being uh, the the third lowest ranked guy remaining from that class. Uh, Chris Olave being the second ranked second-lowest-ranked guy made from that class. He might be a first-round NFL draft pick next year. So a lot of talent in that class from top to bottom. You know, we, we, We'll see. This, this is the year. I, to me, that third year, and this is why I do this series, is to me I think that third year is really a make-or-break year for the class. I think I think this is the year these guys got to step up and deliver. If, if if they don't step up to the point that they can do enough for Ohio State to be a national chip chip contender this year? Then I think this class does become a disappointment with how highly ranked it was.
1: I think that's fair. And is it? You know, we we've avoided I think intentionally talking about the linebackers because mm-hmm. I think right here we can go into um, just continue our weekly state of the position series. Um, and this week on Sunday I wrote about the linebackers, which you know I think like the linebacker position this year is crazy they have seven upperclassmen they have they have one sixth year senior they have one fifth year senior two fourth year seniors and three third year juniors it's nuts and i'll be honest i have no idea how al washington's going to play them all even though he in the spring said that that's his intention
0: yeah it's a tough dilemma and i mean it from what I just said, the the free the free junior linebackers are almost the exception to that because Terajah Mitchell, Kayvon Pope, and Dallas Gantt, I mean, the, the reality is, I still don't see the door being open enough where all three of those guys can get a ton of playing time this year. I I, I do think there's going to be some more playing time this year. I think maybe one or two of them uh, sees fairly substantial playing time this year, but. It, it is. It's going to be tough to get seven guys on the field uh, a lot. Because, you know, I mean, I think first of all, I, I start, you know, right off of Pete Werner. Pete Warner's a guy that I don't think is going to leave the field this year. I think when the first team defense is out there, uh, he's going to be out there pretty much every play. I mean, he, and he, already was.
1: he and Sean Wade are the two yeah. guys on I the mean, defense who I'd say that about.
0: Yeah, and and, and and knowing what we saw last year of Pete Warner. that doesn't necessarily mean Pete Werner's going to be playing the same Spot every play because he's a guy they're going to move all around. But he's a guy I think he's going to be out there pretty much every single play. Tough Borland, I expect probably more of the same of what we've seen the past few years, where he'll probably be in a rotation with somebody at that middle linebacker spot. Uh, it seems like maybe Dallas Gant could maybe be that guy uh, to rotate with him. And, you know, that could be an opportunity for him uh, to start seeing more significant playing time. And then, you know, the other. Starting spot—that's one that's kind of more wide open because we're not sure. Does Pete Warner move to Will? Does he stay at Sam? Is Baron Browning going to finally be that starter if that ever spot? Where does Justin Hilliard factor in? Uh, if that Will spot's open, Taraja Mitchell go get that spot. There's a lot of unknowns because we only. Saw one week of spring practice, so that, that, that leaves us with a lot more unknowns than we would have otherwise. But it's it's a lot of puzzle pieces that Al Washington has to figure out how they fit together.
1: Do you think there's a star in this linebacker group? Like I, I I'll say this: like I feel like it's been on quite a little while since I have felt like Ohio State has really had a stud linebacker, and maybe you can go back to Raekwon or even before uh, Darren Lee. Yeah, I think I think Pete Werner is the closest they have to But is he a star, do you think? Like, do you think that he'll get to that? Like, when I say star, I think of someone who, who's going to be a first-round pick.
0: Yeah, you're talking like a Ryan Shazier type player. Yes. Do I think Pete Warner's going to be that? No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that any of these guys are going to be that this year.
1: Do you think that matters? Like, do you think that this unit can get to the point where it's still a great, linebacker unit and maybe the best in the big 10 because when you have seven upperclassmen linebackers at ohio state like to me you should be the best in the big 10 if you have that much returning experience talent and you look at all these guys recruiting rankings hilliard and browning were five stars basically everybody else were four star prospects to me it would be sort of outlandish if this wasn't the best, or I don't know if there's someone who I'm forgetting who has awesome linebackers. Maybe Micah Parsons, since he's returning, uh, can lead Penn State to, to being the best. But but do you think Ohio State can can challenge to be the best of the Big Ten linebackers?
0: Yeah, I think they can. I mean, I think to me, I I look at this position and I'd say you know other than quarterback with Justin Fields, I, I'd say this is the position that I think has the highest floor in in terms of I. I'd be, if Ohio State's linebackers are bad this year, I'd be shocked because you know we we already saw Pete Werner and Tough Borland make big strides last year. Uh, you know mm-hmm. Baron Browning's a guy who I'm still not sure exactly what he is, but I think if you use him the right way, I mean he might have the most star potential of the group. I don't know if I can say that he's going to be one at this point in his career, but we've we've seen that playmaking ability. I think if you utilize him right, he can definitely be. A difference maker and then you know I think Justin Hilliard's a guy who showed last year that he's a solid role player and I think you know those juniors those three should be ready to play so I think the floor of this group is is really high uh I don't know that the ceiling is necessarily as high as at some other positions because like you said I'm not sure there's that superstar you know I don't know if there's a Ryan Shazier or a James Laurinaitis in this group but you know, I, I think they're going to be very good. Um, you know, I think you know when you say you know do they need that star? I mean, I think you know the, the one thing there is you don't have Chase Young anymore. So uh, I think you know having more guys who are true difference makers uh, would certainly help at, at that at that linebacker position. But I think when you have seven guys who are all upperclassmen who can all contribute. They don't necessarily need one guy to be a superstar. They just need to figure out the best way to put all these guys into the best possible positions to succeed.
1: Let's go through this position by position because I'll say this. I think it's very complicated. And I think that... You know you have certain guys who are moving around whether it be starters like Pete Warner and Baron Browning or backups like a Dallas cant uh, Tarraja Mitchell all those guys are sort of moving around and, and taking different looks in the spring and I think it'll be a, I think it's a little bit difficult to project what they'll um, do in the fall but I think it's I absolutely think it's worth it um, so let's start with Sam which I think it's worth noting for everybody and, and I think a lot of people know this but just to make sure that everybody does like Mike and will middle linebacker and weak side linebacker. Those are generally thought of in this defense as, as I don't know if I'd call it the same position, but very similar positions. Those are the inside linebacker positions. Whereas Sam, Sam, in in this defense, Sam is viewed as the outside linebacker. That's someone who, like when we saw last year, Pete Warner would sometimes rotate and be the single deep safety. You have to be more athletic to play this position than than either of the other two uh, linebackers. But to set it up, like right now, I'm not sure if Pete Warner is going to stay there or to move inside to Will because he got reps in the spring, at least some, uh, at weak side linebacker. Um, But when you don't have 12 spring practices – and then you don't have a full offseason. I'm not sure if you can move Pete Warner inside and change the position, uh, change a position that might not seem drastic on the outside, but I feel like that, that would be a pretty big deal. Yeah, and I don't, my inclination
0: would be that moving Pete Warner would not be the best move for Ohio State's defense because we, we saw the versatility that he showed last year, we saw how important you know his role was to the defense last year. And I'm not sure if you move him, who else would would necessarily play that role? I think if you moved him, it would be because you're looking to do some different things defensively. Whether that means the bullet actually being a real thing, whether that means more, you know, two safety looks, you know, nickel looks with only two linebackers. I I think I think you could do it where heat might be a a a sam linebacker in the base defense and then maybe he plays will in sub packages if you want to get an extra db in there or a a quote-unquote bullet if there's a guy that you think can play that role i could see that i don't know that moving him to will would be for the betterment of the defense as just a permanent move though
1: Okay, I agree with that, and you know our our segment a little bit later, we're gonna just sort of have a free flowing discussion about three things we think. And I probably should have just outlawed linebacker takes because I figured we would get them all out of the way right now. But I completely agree with you. Um, I wish I disagreed. I feel like that's more fun, but I agree. I just think that moving Pete Warner would be a mistake, and I think that I think what he offers is. One, you have stability there. And you know exactly what you're getting for Pete Warner. You're probably getting a better version of last of last year, what you got from him. And I think that he was, I think, I think I would make a case that he might have been Ohio State's best linebacker. And I know that Malik Harrison, I think most people viewed him as such. But I think Pete Warner's versatility at, at Sam and the fact, one, that he killed the bullet. Like that matters to me. He was so good at, at doing the job that... They they, they, they um, press delete on the position that they created in the spring. And I think that if you move him, all of a sudden, like I think he'd be good at will because I think really Pete Warner would be pretty good anywhere you played him. But like you said, I just don't know that they have a great replacement there um, at Bullet, And it does make me wonder. Like If there's one thing that I don't totally get about this defense yet that I don't really fully understand is how all of the pieces are going to fit together. Because, you know, when you make that move, if that move was made, you can't then make Baron Browning a three-down Sam Linebacker because Baron Browning is not the kind of guy who's going to go back there and drop deep and play some safety and stuff like that. I think maybe that opens the door for, for, like you said, a bullet, someone who maybe is a defensive back to go and, and play Sam Linebacker a little bit. And to be honest, I'm not really sure who that would be. And maybe there's an answer there. Maybe it's someone like Josh Proctor. And maybe, maybe, they, maybe he's gotten a lot of reps there that, that we just don't know about. Someone like him. I just don't know. But since I don't know, I don't really see an obvious answer, which is I'm sort of with you. I, I wouldn't move him. Yeah, I, I do think we're going to see
0: more two safety looks this year, and I, I think that could – Mean someone like a Josh Proctor playing a bullet type role because we did see that some last year of you know him playing in the box and he's a hard hitter uh, so I, I do think you know that could be a possibility him playing that role uh, but you got to you know Marcus Hooker's got it you got to be confident in Marcus yeah. Hooker of that deep safety if you play that role too so there's a lot of different moving parts there to make that happen and,
1: and one sec that goes back to my point of like I think it matters to have guys who are reliable and who are safe because all of a sudden you have if this scenario happens and you have someone like a Josh Proctor shifting to you know Sam to essentially play as a, as a closer to the box safety all of a sudden I'm not really sure that I would say I would I would, I would not call that Call him reliable yet as a player. (laughs) I think that he's explosive. I think that he's someone who's a playmaker. I'm not sure I would call him super reliable yet. And like you said, then all of a sudden there's Marcus Hooker in the back end. And do you feel totally confident that he can definitely get that job done? Like all of a sudden you're asking for a lot from a from a you know sort of a lot of new starters, a lot of guys who are new major contributors. And I think that that's why if you keep Pete Warner at Sam for most of the time, you at least have a guy who you know is going to be really good there and really versatile and allow you to do some different things and have some different looks. And to me, I think
0: Baron Browning is probably a better fit, if a will, you know, just based on my understanding of that position and what they want to do with it. Uh, I think he's probably a better fit for that spot because, you know, I, I look at the role Pete played last year, and and Pete's doing a lot of dropping into coverage, a, a lot of you know playing in, in space. I don't know. I don't think that's Baron Browning's role. I think Baron Browning's a guy that you want playing downhill, and I think Baron Browning's role should evolve. I think you know you've talked about it. You've been a big advocate for it. Yes, I have. I think I think there should be a package that utilizes him primarily as a pass rusher this year. I think uh, I, I think there's a definitely ways to do that, and I, I think there should be. A package, uh, a passing down package that uses him primarily as a blitzer, a guy coming off the edge. But I don't see him as that guy dropping back into cover. I know he's, I know he's a great athlete, but I, I just don't, I don't see that as his role. So, I, to me, I think if if you're looking for a base defense role for, for Browning, I, I think the will spot is probably the spot that makes more sense. You know, with Taraja Mitchell also being a guy who's been playing that spot who I think can can rotate in there as well
1: so let's play the game so if if what we think shouldn't happen happens and Pete Warner moves primarily to will who do you what do you think would happen at Sam that's a hard
0: one I mean I I think it would be some sort of rotation where it could be Baron Browning it could be you know it could even be a Justin Hilliard or Kavon Pope, but I think that would be a situation where you might have one guy playing in the base defense and then playing a a more safety like bullet on nickel packages.
1: Yeah, I think the only reason they should move Pete Warner is if you felt like you had a great Sam linebacker who you just weren't getting on the field, and I don't think they have that. Which goes back to my point of I wouldn't move him yep. um, if I'm they, with if you. they. If they did move him, then I just I, I I like you said, I think it would have to be some sort of rotation because if I look at Justin Hillier and Kayvon Pope, like I think both of those guys are solid. And maybe Kayvon Pope can be really good. But you know, Justin Hillier's obviously had so many injuries, I'm not sure I would view him as someone who's, you know, a first or second team all big ten caliber linebacker at this point in, in his career, and I would love for him to prove me wrong i I think that his his story is pretty great. The fact that he's really sticking it out at Ohio State for his sixth season, I think it would have been easy for him to give it up. But he's made clear that he still has high expectations of what he can do at Ohio State. So, you know, if he somehow has a renaissance, then you know maybe you know him and Pope he and Pope would trade off. But Browning in this situation, I just don't understand where he would be. I really don't unless he goes and plays a lot of defensive end, like as a stand up defensive end, because to me, like you said, he's so good at playing downhill, I don't I don't really understand why he would move to Sam. And and I guess you know, maybe we could be proven wrong on this. I just don't see that happening. And and I don't I guess I've never fully understood why they would move Warner to Will.
0: And I do think the future of that position could be more of a ro- rotation yes. but what i i know is they're they're definitely looking for hybrid kind of guys to, to to play some significant role in the future of the defense because you look at their recruiting <laughs> yeah. they brought in court williams in this class they've got jalen johnson coming in next year who's being recruited for a similar role same with cj hicks in, in in 2022 what i'm not sure is when they look to the future do they look at you know, those those guys being every down guys at that position, or do they look at those guys being bullet slash secondary safeties who could sometimes play as a Sam. I am not sure but what but I think what, where we both kind of agree here is if even if that's the route they want to go, I don't know if they have that guy right now. I don't I don't know if they have that guy for this year. I, I think my feeling for this year is the best move for this year would be to keep Pete Warner at Sam and have him play a similar role to what he did next year. I'm big on Court Williams. I think next year, in 2021, I think Court Williams is going to be an impact player for Ohio State's defense, but not as a true freshman. So my my feeling for this year is, is keep Pete Warner at, at Sam. Baron Browning's got to have a role. He, he, he's a senior. He's too talented not to have a big role. So my guess would be you know he's he's going to start at one of those two positions, but I don't I don't know what I, I still don't know what I see him as an every down player. I think he's a guy who could, uh, may, you know maybe be a starter in the base defense, and you know he might have a different role in the pat uh, pass rushing packages. But you know I I think you definitely want to get some of those other guys in there as well. I think you know Hilliard will have a role, whether that is you know the same role he had last year as kind of a. A package player on those four linebacker packages or something more i'm not sure but i you know i think those guys like taraja mitchell dallas gantt Kayvon pope you got to try to find a way to work all of those guys in there too because i think they're all talented guys who are now going into their junior years and only have one more one more year of eligibility left after this one
1: let's move over to will um and talk about that a little bit since obviously you know if if pete warner moved there the answer is pretty easy like Pete Warner would play there, and he'd play damn near every snap. But if we're gonna work under the assumption, at least for now, that he doesn't move there and he stays at Sam, you know, is this Baron Browning's position to lose? I think so. I think it is because I think, I mean, he, you know, I mean, we we're talking
0: about a, a, a top ten overall recruit in his class. Uh, we're talking about somebody who came in with huge expectations, and so. Uh, I think for him not to be a starter this year would be a disappointment because uh, you know he, he's so talented that y- you've got to find a way uh, to, to to try to maximize that ability this year so I do think it's his position to lose I, I think taraja can make a push for it because he has said he's been playing at out will spot and I, I do think he's a guy who's going to get on the field some this year but you know i I would still be surprised if Baron Browning wasn't a starter this year
1: yeah, I think that that's, you know, I, I'm in the same boat as you. It's, you know, I don't think his game is that dissimilar from Malik Harrison's. But I do think he's, I think he's faster. Um, I think he's as powerful. He's obviously big. Um, and I think that that, I really do think that that role fits him. And I think he can be good in it. I do too. Obviously, obviously, the caveat to that, as you know, is I think that they should rush the passer with him as much as possible like I really don't think that they could that they could unleash him as an edge rusher too much I don't think that I'll have a moment where it's like man I really feel like they should move him back and, and play him at will and not have him rush like I think that I think when you're trying to replace Chase Young and you're trying to have you know Zach Harrison Cooper Tyreek Smith all these guys um collectively replace him I think that you've got to have you know, Baron Baron Browning rushing the the quarterback as much as as possible because he's just really good at it. He's so naturally talented at it that I think that I think that they will do that, and I think that that'll open up snaps for um, someone else. And I think you know we can mention right now that someone else could be Taraja Mitchell, who was the backup will um, in the spring. And you know, if we move over to Mike just quickly to mention this, like I think Dallas Gant might be a decent complement to Tough Borland. Whereas, um, if you bring Taraja Mitchell in and, and play him a good amount at will um, to to complement Baron Browning, like I think that that makes sense because I think Baron Br- I think Taraja Mitchell's maybe a little bit um, too similar to Tuff Boylan in that I'm not sure Taraj is the kind of guy who you're going to have on third down on the field um, in a passing down covering. I think that you know he's someone who, like Baron Browning, is probably better um, as uh, um, defending the run, and, and he's and he's really smart in that. And I compare him to uh, – I don't want to make this comparison as some people are going to freak out, but I think that some of his traits and some of the things he does well – or at least somewhat similar to Tough Borland, and I think that's why if you put him at will, um, you're just not having two guys who have fairly similar traits. At Mike, I think he's also kind of similar to Baron Browning, though. I, I think I think, yeah, I think he's, that's he's part of. I think of he's it. in between them. I really do. It's it's um, he's a, he's he's a fascinating player. Who honestly, like, I'm making all these comments on him. We haven't seen a ton of him yet, and he's a junior, and we all thought he might play right away.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I just remember you you last year you every game you love to watch uh, Kenny Ananike working with Baron Browning. You didn't didn't Taraja work with him yeah, in that yeah, group he too? Did. Mm-hmm. So I think you know I think Taraj is a guy who could play a similar role to Browning. I mean, I think he's a guy who could potentially rotate with Browning, yeah. and and he's a guy that they might experiment with doing some of that kind of stuff too. But I I agree. I think he's a, he's a downhill kind of player. It is it is is kind of the same thing. As and a he's Browning. Smart.
1: he really is smart. I think that that's something I've heard oh, yeah. over and over again with him too. Oh yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. Um, the the interesting, and, and we can sort of morph this conversation into Mike a little bit too, because you know when people thought think or thought of Taraja when he came to Ohio State from Virginia, everybody viewed him as the net starting uh, middle linebacker, and I think that, that was a fair thought because I thought about him that way too, but. The way that it sets up this year, you bring back Tuff Borland, who I know um, a lot of fans uh, have, have, have opinions on, but he's going to start regardless of what anybody thinks. And I think the goal is to have somebody else behind him who can complement what, ter- what Tuff doesn't do well and the other guy does pretty well. And you had that in Baron Browning, who was way more athletic and faster than Tuff. I think maybe you have that in Dallas Gantt, who I thought was really impressive in the limited snaps that I saw from him last year.
0: Yeah, I think Dallas Gantt is most likely that guy. Uh, but I think they would like to see rotate with Tough at middle linebacker, and I do think we'll continue to see a rotation uh, there with you know Tough not being a guy who I think is going to be on the, the field every down of every game. But like I said, Tough's going to start. I know there's people out there who still don't think tough should be a starter but tough's gonna start
1: yeah i'll be honest like i get that conversation but i at this point am so tired of having the conversation i just don't even bother anymore because as like i don't know if like it's it's almost like people want me to explain why he's gonna start and then be like got you but I, i don't know like it's been the same explanation for two and a half years like it's it is they still really like his leadership. I mean, ask like his...
0: anyone on the team if Tuff Borland is going to be a starting yeah, linebacker. Every
1: he's... single person is going to say yes. And it's it's because they like his leadership. They like how he gets the defense set up. He never makes mistakes out there. And sure, he's slow. He's, he's he's probably the slowest linebacker that Ohio State has. But I think Ohio State did a pretty good job last year of covering that up. If it's third and 16, Tuff Borland isn't going to be on the field. So... I, that's why you know I get it. I don't think Tough Portland is a great linebacker, but if Tough Portland has all these positive characteristics and I think he's pretty solid against the run, you know, if they don't play him three downs, I think they can get away with it. I I don't think it's something that's bad. Sure, I think that maybe the standard at Ohio State should be better than, uh, than than what I just said, but. You know he's going to be a three-time captain. They value what he what he brings in tangible wise, and you know that also plays a big part in, in how he got to this point.
0: Yeah, your your audio caught up there for a couple seconds. Ooh, I sorry. I got a little worried. Up apologies, uh, my, my connection to, or one of our connections at least doesn't seem to be great today. So apologies if things have been cutting out a little bit on the audio here. But uh, yeah, I mean you know I, you know tough tough to me it's funny that he's going to be the second free time captain after JT Barrett because I feel like their perception among the fan base is also so similar where they're going to go down is uh, two of the most polarizing players in recent memory for Ohio State because as beloved as they are on the Woody Hayes Athletic Center as uh, indisputably as they've been leaders for this team and, and guys who have been uh, you know revered by the teammates and coaches they haven't necessarily been revered by teammate by Ohio State fans because there's been a perception that you know they're on the field over guys who might be more talented.
1: I think that that is going to be fascinating Dan because um, if if Ohio State starts Pete Warner Baron Browning and tough Borland this year. That's three seniors, and then the next year for 2021, Ohio State could potentially come back with three other seniors: Taraja Mitchell, Dallas, and Kavon Pope, starting. And I'll be honest, like if those three guys are like all all Big Ten guys, like, and one's like a, a on some All-American lists, people are gonna have a heart attack, and then people are gonna wonder like what happened, why were they not playing, and I think that that's. That would probably be reasonable to ask, but I also think at this point, like I don't have enough evidence that these guys definitely should be ahead of the guys um, in front of them, if that makes sense. And I'll say this, like I think Pete Warner is really good, and I don't think that any of these other guys should start over Pete Warner. And I think uh, Baron Browning is extremely talented, and it's hard for me to imagine guys that any of those three guys are, are at least as naturally gifted as Baron Browning. And, you know, obviously tough as, as the leadership and the, the, veteran sh- the veteran skills that he brings. Um, I'm not I'm not someone who has been thinking like, wow, I cannot believe for their entire career that they've been behind these guys and they're better, better than. Maybe they'll prove that in their fourth years at Ohio State. And maybe even at some point this season we get a whiff of that and start thinking that. But I'm not at that point. I do think it's just un- – I, I, I think it's just unfortunate for them. Like the fact that they've had to wait this long and be behind these guys who um, are 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 all multi-year stars. That's just that that is that is terrible luck. I have gotta say, and also um, not so great planning by not redshirting any of them.
0: And I think the reality of those linebackers is that the fan perception of them just doesn't necessarily match up with what the coaches and talent evaluator perception of them is. I mean. I'll be honest. Tough Borland's a guy that I look at and I go, I don't know if this guy can play in the NFL, but I constantly see him on on NFL draft evaluators talking about Ohio State. They, his name is always mentioned as a middle round guy. I mean, our Kyle Jones, who's an extremely smart football guy, insists Tough Borland is going to be an NFL player. So, uh, you know, sometimes I have to say, like, okay, these people are probably smarter about football than I am, and, and they insist that Tough Borland is going to be an NFL player. So. Uh, you know, you know, maybe we just maybe we focus a little bit too much on the fact that this guy's not that fast, and, and we and we miss on on a lot of the things that he does really well. I mean, Pete Orner is a guy that I, I see people talking about as a potential, you know, early round NFL draft pick, and I think they could could be right. And then I saw an article last week that one of the scouting services had Baron Browning graded as a first round draft pick, which which floored me because. I don't think he's shown nearly enough at Ohio State no. to to be in that kind of evaluation right now. But that is the kind of potential he has from a physical standpoint that you know he's a guy that NFL scouts are going to be looking for to see, does he blow up and finally play up to his potential this year? Because if he does, he might be an early-round draft pick next year.
1: Yeah, and I'll say this. Last year, I think that you could hide uh, – not that they did – but Ohio State could have hid some of these linebackers a little bit because you have a defensive line led by Chase Young and a bunch of other talented guys like Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell, all those other guys. And then you had a secondary that had multiple, you, potentially three first-round picks at cornerback and Jordan Fuller as a um, two-and-a-half-year starter at safety. And then a linebacker, like between them, you didn't necessarily have to have all Americans. But I think this year it's not that you have to have all Americans – but those linebackers have to be pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. That there's not there's definitely going to be less room for these guys to hide this year, and if there's flaws that are still there, they could get exposed this year. But I have to say, I, I'm by far the most confident in the linebackers of any of the groups on defense. I think there's major question marks in the secondary. I'm probably less bullish on the defensive line than some people because uh, they're replacing a lot there, and there's not many proven guys uh, in that group at all. But I feel good about the linebackers. I think I think the linebackers, I, I don't necessarily think they're going to be elite, but I, I think they're going to be very good. I think they're going to do what they need to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not concerned that all of a sudden the season's going to start and linebackers are actively bad. That would be a surprise. But... Um It'll be interesting to see how far they can rise. To talk a little bit about the underclassmen, you know, our entire discussion centered on the upperclassmen. Because I'll be honest, I think you agree with this. If you have seven seven upperclassmen for three positions, I don't know how in the world any underclassmen are supposed to break through and actually play. But if we look forward, like Ohio State's going to lose four um, seniors this year, and then the year after they'll lose three other seniors and all of a sudden the next wave of linebackers in 2022 like all the underclassmen right now are going to be the only players left on the roster um, and potentially none of them will have started so i think it they'll be they'll be a fascinating group to watch uh grow a little bit but of them so right now you have Craig Young as a sophomore, Tommy Eichenberg as a redshirt freshman, and three incoming freshmen, and Court Williams, Cody Simon, and Mitchell Melton. You know, where uh, um, among them is there one or two and I didn't even mention Court Williams already who maybe you're really high on that you're highest on?
0: Yeah, I already mentioned Court Williams before, so he'd be my number one answer. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what he's going to be. Linebacker safeties, probably some blend of that. Uh, I do think he's a guy that in a couple years is going to be a really good player for Ohio State and I think uh, is going to play a big role. Uh, But the other guy I'll mention is Craig Young, a guy who I'm really intrigued by. I I still don't think there's going to be an opening there this year for him to see a lot of playing time, but, but he's a guy... Uh, you know, I mean, he didn't redshirt last year, so that tells you that they, they think he's a guy who can contribute sooner than later. And I, I think he's a guy, you know, looking ahead to, you know, 2021, 2022. Uh, really, really athletic guy. Uh, you know, got g- g- great length, great athleticism. Uh, he's a guy that I'm really intrigued to see the kind of player that he becomes over the next three years.
1: Yeah, I think that those are. Um Fair picks. Uh, the interesting, uh, a guy I'll mention who I think is interesting, like Cody Simon, I feel like just he flies under the radar yeah. so often. And I'll be honest, like, I feel like I don't even really know a ton about him. Like, are you in the same boat?
0: Yeah, I do. I, I do feel like he's a guy who's getting overlooked. And I think, you know, I think part of that's because, you know, you look at all those top 100 recruits in the class. He was the only one who didn't enroll early. So I think we were talking a lot about those other guys this spring, and I think he just kind of got forgotten about a little bit because of that. But, yeah, I mean, you're talking about I think he was the 74th overall player in in that class. Uh, I think think he's a guy, I do, I think, you know, in two or three years, he's a guy who's going to be a starting linebacker at Ohio State and could be a really, really good starting linebacker at at Ohio State. I think part of the reason we're not talking about him right now is because there's so many upperclassmen above him that we just – You know, we just don't expect that he's going to be a guy who's really going to see significant playing time this year.
1: Yeah, I think when you mentioned Craig Young, Craig Young to me, like, I would compare him to, like, being the linebacker version of Cam Brown. Like, I think the athleticism is there. I think it's pretty raw. And just like Cam Brown, Cam Brown came in as a wide receiver, transitioned to to cornerback. Like, Craig Young hasn't been playing linebacker his entire life. Um, I think that that's a little bit of a transition to you know know exactly what you are. And I think Ohio State's still figuring out exactly which position he'll play, um, even at linebacker, whether it'll be Sam or somewhere else. But he's someone who, if he can put it together, like there is a lot to work with there, and it's and, and obviously Ohio State has literal years to figure that out. Um, but you know he's someone who I think is just he's so moldable. And Ohio State gets these guys in every once in a while, you know, some work out and and some never really feel like they reach their potential. But when it when someone like that does work out, like you really see it. You really see it come together. I
0: think the thing that's that's interesting about this linebacker group is because you have such a cluster of upperclassmen at the top, it feels like there's just kind of a a weird gap that you don't usually see in the composition of a college football position group, where you've got got these upperclassmen, you expect all of them to play in some capacity, you've got these underclassmen, you don't really expect any of them to play this year, but then you look at it and say, okay, in in two years, that entire cluster of upperclassmen is going to be gone, and these are the guys who... Who are, are going to now be leading this group? So it's like we don't expect to really see them this year. Next year, they got to get to a point where they're starting to, to get on the field because then they're going to have to be groomed for 2022. You're talking about some combination of this group, and then you can also include you know, Reed Carrick, who's coming in next year, Jalen Johnson, who's coming in next year, uh, CJ Hicks uh, in 2022. You know, it, it's going to be out of that group of guys to then step up and, and be the next wave. But it, it, it could be a pretty sudden jump from one year to the next year or over the next three years just because you're looking at the possibility of free senior starters this year and then free senior starters again next year.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. The other thing I'll, I'll say is, you know, I'm waiting a little bit to see if Al Washington can land just an absolute stud. Like you've you've seen Kerry Combs over the years bring in five stars who turn into obvious first-round picks. There's no use even naming them. Same thing with Larry Johnson. Um, you've you've seen that recently on the offensive line with like a, a Wyatt Davis, um, a Josh Myers, someone like that. Um, obviously, you've seen that at quarterback, receiver. You've seen it really at, at all kinds of positions. I think linebacker. I've it, it's been a while. Um, at least in a, in in terms of. comparing this to other positions at Ohio State maybe not nationally comparing them but when you look at Ohio State's linebackers there just hasn't been that kind of stud like you said the Ryan Shazier to come through Columbus in a little bit and I don't necessarily know that Ohio State has that guy on it's roster or even committed right now and maybe they do and maybe I'm underselling them and maybe someone you know develops better than anybody hoped Um, but that's the kind of guy who I'm looking to see if Al Washington can land. Because when, when, when Ryan Day brought in Al Washington, like one of the main things that people thought about is what he can do with linebacker recruiting. And that's, that's something I'm looking for. Can he land that five-star, no doubt about it, linebacker that I just think that Ohio State's maybe missed a little bit recently?
0: Yeah, Al Washington gets hyped up a ton as a recruiter, and I think it's probably deserved. But to me, for him to be in that same class as a Kerry Combs or a Larry Johnson or a Brian Hartline, he's got to land that really big fish. He's he's got he's got to land that five-star linebacker. I think until he does that, I can't put him in the same class as a recruiter as the you know the Larry Johnsons and Brian Hartlines of the world because they've they've proven they can go out there and they can get the best player in the country at that that position. We haven't seen Al Washington do that yet.
1: No, we haven't. I I really think that that's maybe my one. Biggest question. I, I I think I'll say this. Like I think Al Washington's job for the Nets for this fall is going to be really hard. And I think I'm looking for um, I'm looking for what he can do on the recruiting trail. But also, it's easy to say like you have seven upperclassmen linebackers who all can do a, different things and mesh them all together and make the linebacking core the best in the Big Ten and one of the best in the country. That's easy to say. Like it seems like something that can be done but I think that that's a pretty tough thing to do like seven guys is a lot of guys to manage and that's a lot of talent that's a lot of you know that's a lot of and and naturally that's just a lot of ego that's a lot of um it's a lot of everything that's it to me it's just difficult and sure he will have Greg Madison who spends a lot of time coaching the Sams alongside him but I do think that that maybe is a little bit more difficult than um I sometimes give it credit for being even though I think the potential is really there if he can figure it out.
0: Yeah, it's, it's 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 a lot of guys. And I mean, you know, to me, I mean, if I'm a Taraja Mitchell, Talis Gant, Kayvon Pope, I want to be on field. I mean, I, 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 I want to be on the field at this point. I mean, you know, the, there is the, the light at the end of the tunnel of, you know, those other four upperclassmen are seniors. So at least you can look ahead to, okay, if they're not starters this year, they should be next year. But if I'm those guys, I'd be getting impatient. Uh, I, I'd want to roll on the field this year going into my junior year yeah,
1: yep um Dan we uh we have a new segment don't we?
0: well it's it's this is your idea so
1: you you, you <laughs> get to you get to explain what a segment's gonna be. I figured you know sometimes there are just times in the week where it's just like I have a thought and I sort of just want to talk about it and I just want to bring it up and I figured you know throughout the week. Maybe if I have one of those thoughts about Ohio State, I can just jot it down. And maybe we can bring three to the table each week and just not tell each other and just sort of bounce off you know, what we think. Um, and I wrote down you know, three of them, and I have no idea if this is going to work. I don't even know if three is the right number. Maybe three is too much. Maybe it's too little. I have no idea. But I wrote down three. I figure maybe we can go me, then you, then me, then you, then me, then you, if that makes sense
0: yeah, I didn't write down anything, so I'm just gonna spitball, but I figured I, I figured you introduced this segment because you got something that's on your mind that you want to talk about. So yeah
1: you you, you you know what's funny is I did and I was like, Dan, I think I think maybe we should just do this. like just you know, have some conversations randomly about some random subjects. and then the, whatever sparked me, I just forgot. but I <laughs> thought of three <laughs> I thought of three different things. so we're okay. We're okay. But I'll say like one thing I was just thinking of. Like when I was when I was thinking about what Ohio State has at running back, I feel like maybe Trey Sermon's gonna have a bigger workload than I anticipated, and maybe is gonna be closer to a bell cow running back than I realized. And I think I re- I, I, I was sort of thinking that when I was going through what Tony Alford has had and what he succeeded with, and and really what I think Tony Alford has done well or done best with at Ohio State is when he has a pretty clear number one running back. And I think that he has that in Trey Sermon, regardless of the fact that, you know, the coaches will always say that he has to earn the starting job. Trey Sermon's going to be the starter. And I think it's pretty clear. And I'm also, you know, unless we get to a point where the season begins and they have both Master Teague and Marcus Crowley healthy, ready to go, went through full camps, like, unless that happens, like, I think maybe Trey Sermon can get the vast majority of the carries and... I feel like that's a change in my thinking a little bit over the past few months, and I don't even really know what sparked that, but I think it was maybe just sort of looking at what they had at running back otherwise, which is Steel Chambers, Mayan Williams, and maybe Demario McCall.
0: Yeah, I think Ohio State would prefer for it to be a rotation. Uh, I also think some of this is going to depend on on the health of Master Teague and Marcus Crowley because I think you know those were probably the two you know leading candidates uh to be in that rotation after sermon so I do think you know how healthy they are could depend on some of that but uh you know I I think it is certainly possible that Trey Sermon could be a bell cow back because I think he is the most talented running back on the roster and I think I think he's going to be clearly the best running back on the team this year in terms of uh, his talent and being ready to play. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to a tweet from uh, Jim Nagy last night. Uh, the, he's the executive director of the Senior Bowl, and, and he, he tweeted, he said, if there's one Big Ten program that didn't need to sign an early round grad transfer, it's Ohio State. But that's what happened when they landed Trey Sermon. Didn't realize how talented Sermon is until we watched his 2019 Oklahoma tape this afternoon. And that matches up completely with when I did a film breakdown of him a few months ago, because honestly, when I started watching his tape i thought like i think this is going to be good i don't know that it's going to be great and then i'm watching it and i'm like this looks pretty great like i'm watching it and like there's really no obvious flaws in his game and uh you know he's powerful i i think he had more a lot more wiggle than i was expecting to see from him and i'm thinking this guy could be a really really good running back for ohio state this year so Uh, I think he's undoubtedly the starter. I mean, I know it it seems like any time we write something about, you know, Trey Sermon is the starter, people will go, but what about Master Teague? Uh, I'm sorry. I I think Trey Sermon is going to clearly be the starter, even if Master Teague is healthy.
1: Yeah, I'm not even going to say sorry anymore. That drives me crazy. Like, I'll say, uh, like, I'll be honest. Like, I would be blown away if Trey Sermon wasn't the starter. Like, I am just, I'm penciling him in. And I feel like that, you know, a lot of people really liked what they saw from Master Teague. I mean, I still remember early last season before J.K. Dobbins literally broke Ohio State's single-season rushing record. People wanted Master Teague to get the ball more. So, people, I, I think Master Teague is a pretty strong, um, you know, section of fans um, at Ohio State. But I think this is this is the Trey Sermon year, and I think I feel that more so than than ever before. But Dan. The floor is yours. What's what's something you've thought about over the past week?
0: All right. So, uh, all right. La- last night we saw a clip of Justin Fields uh, lining up as a wide receiver at the the Elite Eleven Finals. So, uh, you want to bring back Tate and put him in the slot, don't you? I don't want. I don't want to bring back. I don't want to bring back Tate. I just. Ah. I just want to know if, if it, are we going to see a trick play this year? Uh, is is Ohio State going to be bold enough? To, to, to have a two-quarterback package this year where we see Justin Fields catch a pass.
1: Okay, well, I love this thought, and I think that you're absolutely insane for even thinking that there's a 1% <laughs> chance. <laughs> there is no chance in the world that they line Justin Fields up at wide receiver. Unless it's the national championship game, fourth quarter, they're down two touchdowns, they need a prayer. I, that's the only chance I see, but Dan, I love where your head's at. No,
0: I, I agree with you. I, I really, really don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think he's, he's way too important at quarterback to risk him getting hurt on a play at wide receiver, but it would be fun to see. Yeah,
1: undoubtedly. I mean, I'll say this. Even in that little clip, if anyone hasn't seen, what is it, like three seconds of him running her out? It's pretty short, but the man lit smooth. Like, he looks like if he was not a quarterback, if he had no arm. He looks like he could have a future as a, as a wide receiver.
0: And most of the responses to that video were people saying, don't let Bill Polian see this, which did <laughs> yes. make me think ahead to next year during the draft when we're inevitably going to get the takes from uh, some anonymous scout told someone that they think Justin Fields should play
1: wide receiver. Yeah, maybe Trey Lance has a has a not-so-great uh, what redshirt sophomore season in North Dakota State, and, and people wonder if maybe Maybe he should be a second-round pick and it should be Fields throwing Trey Lance the ball or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I like that. Um, my my second thing that I've been thinking about, I feel like for a few months, I've just been a little bit afraid to drop this take out there. And even earlier in the podcast, like you were like, no chance. I feel like I'm a crazy person, but I don't think Pete Warner first-round pick sounds like insane in my mind. And I don't feel like I'm at the point where I'm like, I predict this to happen. But, like, I think Pete Werner is going to go way higher than people think. Like, I, I I'll, uh, if I were to make a projection right now, I would say I think Pete Werner goes in the first two rounds of the NFL draft.
0: I don't think that's crazy. I, I remember before the draft, you said on here that you fought – or you either said on here or you ever told me off air that you fought Pete Warner. Was going to be drafted higher next year than Malik Harrison yeah. this year. I thought you were wrong when you said it, and then Malik Harrison fell to the end of the third round. And I said, well, I think he's right because uh, I, I I do. I think he's going to be a top 100 pick uh, I, right now. My guess would be somewhere in the second round. Um, you know, I don't know if I can see first round, but like I remember, like even Kyle Jones bringing it up like during the draft when Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech was taken late in the first round. It's like that's a really similar player to Pete Warner and. And those linebackers who are really versatile and and, and, are, and can cover, uh, those are the linebackers who tend to be valued very highly by the NFL these days. And again, on Pete Werner, this is a guy, I mean, it drives me crazy when I see Ohio State fans make comments about – Pete Warner not being slow because unless you're just going off of like the fact that he's white and you think that makes him slow, like he is not slow. Like he is gonna run a lot faster at the combine than people think he's going to because he's a really good athlete.
1: Yeah, I, Pete Warner not being good at football is probably the worst take that people somehow still have. Pete Warner is really really good at football. I I think that the one thing that it this is pure projection, like what I think he will do. I think he's going to, if you look at his stats last year, 64 tackles, only five and a half tackles for loss, zero sacks, zero interceptions, only three pass deflections, um, zero forced fumbles. I don't think the stats were all that great, and that's why he was only honorable mention all Big Ten. I think his stats will be pretty significantly improved. I think he'll be more of a playmaker than before, and this is all pure projection, but I think that's why, I, I don't know, if I were... I'll just make a bold prediction. Like I think he'll go in the top 45 picks of the NFL draft, which I think is way higher than some people think. But I just think he's going to have a big senior year. I really, I really really like him, and I think that his trajectory throughout his career has just been straight upwards, and I think he's going to continue that as a senior.
0: So here's, a, here's another thought. So I, I wrote about Jeremy Ruckert over the weekend, and inevitably – all the responses from people who didn't read the article just accused me of writing the same article that we've written every single year about where the tight ends, get, get, get the ball more. I mean, that it was, it was included in the article because it is, it is a significant question going into Jeremy Ruckert's third year at Ohio State. Are they going to pass him a ball more? I, I don't think you can write about Jeremy Ruckert without writing that angle, but of course people go, it's never going to happen, and you, know, you guys just keep recycling the same articles you wrote about. Uh, ben Hartsock, eighteen years ago, was one of the comments I saw, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was
1: from someone who replied to my retweet, so I apologize for. Uh, no, it's a, Oh, that's that okay. <laughs> I mean, it's. it's I
0: mean, it's, I I knew it was gonna. I knew it was gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: happened I every mean, single time any two, of us have ever written about tight ends.
0: Two points here. First of all, I think Jeremy Ruckert is the most talented Ohio State, tight end Ohio State has had since Ricky Dudley. I mean, I think Jeremy. I think Jeremy Ruckert has that kind of talent. I think you're talking about a guy who's gonna be a. Who should be, I think, an early round NFL draft pick and a guy who I think is going to be more productive in the NFL than that he's ever going to be at Ohio State. But, you know, another thing I thought was interesting when I was writing about it, and I was looking back for some of his quotes from the spring, and, and he talked about how, uh, you know, he had been studying film of the 49ers and the Ravens and, and how, how much in the NFL they use, they use the tight ends over the middle of the field in the, in the passing game. And, and, I thought of, and I thought about, you know, is that something that we really could see Ohio State do more this year? Because we didn't see them use the middle of a field a lot in a passing game last year. Uh, they had things going mostly to the outside. And I think a lot of that was, you know, Justin Fields, uh, you know, being a first-year quarterback and trying to simplify things for him. But I think when you think between moving Garrett Wilson to the slot and then having a guy like Jeremy Ruckert at tight end— I think that's one area where you could see Ohio State's offense evolve this year. It is doing a lot more stuff in the passing game over the middle of the field.
1: Yeah, okay. I actually for some reason I had this I had a similar thought. I didn't write it down, but I had a similar thought this week, which is like could he be K.J. Hill this year? Like not not those kind of numbers, but like could he have that kind of similar role where he, you know he's the reliable guy at you know, for you know, if you're looking for ten yards, if you're looking for someone to move the change like that, like is it crazy to think that he could be targeted in that kind of way? Yeah, he's a completely different player. Yeah. But I get what I get what that, you're that, saying. He, he, in, he might in be terms successful of, in the same type of same areas of the field, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying, because I, I, I another thing I've been thinking about too, like when we talk about Garrett Wilson playing the slot, but then you talk about those two tight end packages. I think what we could see of Garrett Wilson is when they're in three receiver sets, he's playing in the slot. But I think when they go to those two tight end sets, then he could move back to that outside spot, so that you can have both him and Olave on the field at the same time as a Luke Farrell and a Jeremy Rucker. And I, th- I think that's a package that they should use this year, and that we 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 probably will see this year because those are you know your those are your foremost experience returning receivers and tight ends so I, I I could see Garrett Wilson's role I I don't think Garrett Wilson in a slot is going to be the same as KJ Hill in the slot I yes. think he can get some snaps there but I think you might also see him move some outside because you have a guy like Jeremy Rucker who can also be that weapon over the middle
1: the other thing like my Jeremy Rucker take and you know I brought, I'll write this at some point and get all the same comments but my question about him And Ohio State this year is not is this year the Ohio State will use the tight end? It's is this a year where Ohio State will squander the talent of Jeremy Rucker or not? Because this is not this is not a situation where you know is it, are they going to throw to Marcus Ball? Are they going to throw to Luke Farrell? It's not that. It's not. Jeremy Rucker is really really good and he's really talented at as a downfield receiver. And if Ohio State doesn't use him like that, and if he has 12 catches this year. That will be a missed opportunity, and that will be a total misuse of resources. So, to me, I get it. Like, sometimes this, it feels like it's deja vu, but this is this to me is different. Jeremy Ruckert, like you said, he's supremely talented. He's better than these guys. So, if you want to say, like, of course they're not going to throw to the tight end, that would be a problem. This is when they should. Like, I feel confident that Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are going to be really, really good. I don't necessarily have that confidence about the rest of the receiving core, at least right away. I think that they could be really good. I think the talent in that room is obviously great, but I'm not sure that the experience is. I think Jeremy Ruckert is someone who should have 30 to 40 catches this season. And I don't know if that's crazy or not, but um, I I feel like I hijacked a little bit of that, but I just agree with you so much, Dan.
0: (laughs) And going off of that, if Jeremy Ruckert has 15 catches this year, how the hell are you going to recruit top tight ends going forward? Like, like, what can you sell to a tight end about their role in the offense if the guy who Urban Meyer called the most talented tight end he's ever seen or recruited doesn't become an, an active receiver in the offense? I mean, I, I'm not saying you should game plan just for a recruiting standpoint, but I think if it doesn't happen this year, there's just no way you can really sell it future tight end recruits but yeah we might start from a ball yeah
1: yeah it's funny I was watching a uh, um, a video that Letterman Road did interviewing Sam Hart and Jeremy Birmingham former former 11 Warriors reporter uh, he was he asked a question about you know other, other colleges um, sort of negatively recruiting the fact that Ohio State doesn't throw their tight ends and Sam Hart's the 21 Ohio State tight end commit and, you know, what Sam Hart said is Ohio State's coaches say, you know, if we've got a guy who we can throw the ball to, we'll do that. Well, shoot, you've got that guy right now, so you better do it. That, that, I, I agree with you there.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, to me, to me, Ruckert is more talented than any of your tight ends we've had in recent history, and he's, he's also more talented than the guys they've got behind him and coming in so this is the year to do it
1: all right my my third and final thing that I've thought about over the past week is you know this is more so when I was thinking about today's show and, and whatnot and we've maybe hit on it a little bit but I think my concern about the defense generally is not about its talent I think this defense is every bit as talented as last year's defense I just wonder if they're going to have players play like first round picks this year. And the way I see that is, you know, maybe Zach Harrison is a first round pick, a top 10 pick in the 2022 NFL draft, but is he going to play like a superstar or just even, you know, a star this fall? I don't really necessarily know that I'm hundred percent confident on that. Like, will Tyreek Smith be a star? I don't know. Will Teron Vincent be a star this year? A lot of questions there. Like, will Pete Warner be a star? Obviously, I'm optimistic there, but you certainly can't lock it in. He was very, very good last year. I wouldn't call him a game-changing star. I think Sean Wade is maybe the closest guy you've got to that right now, and and if he can be a Jeff Okuda, that's awesome for Ohio State. But outside of him, like, can Seven Banks or Cam Brown – be a star i think they have the talent to do that i don't know if they're gonna be stars in 2020 and i I have that same question with josh proctor at safety i think when i go through all that i don't know i i do wonder if ohio state has enough just total game changers on defense Um, because this isn't this isn't the ohio state where we say like they have enough game changers to beat wisconsin this is the ohio state where we ask does this defense have enough stars to beat clemson and alabama in the college football playoff like that's what we have to think about right now and if we're not doing that we're doing a disservice to ohio state and my question right now is i really don't know i've got a major question mark there and that's why when i look at the 2018 class in totality there's a lot to like about you know you've got to imagine two or three of these guys can really step up and be really good this season but until I see it I've got that that's one of my biggest hesitations on the entire team is not knowing whether Ohio State's defense will really have enough true game changers.
0: Yeah, I mean I want to I want to certainly preface this by saying I don't I I certainly think Ohio State's defense in 2020 is going to be better than its defense in 2018, but <laughs> I, I I do think that there's a good amount of guys who could be on a trajectory where we saw last year that some guys who were just, you know, who weren't great in 2018 ended up being great in 2019? Oh, this is such a good got, take,
1: Dan. I can't even believe I didn't think of this.
0: Yeah, where where they got a year of experience under their belt and then you know became great next year. I think there's a lot of guys in that boat this year. I mean, I think, I mean, Sean Wade, I think is is great. Pete Werner, I think is great. But I think there's a lot of guys. Like Zach Harrison, like a, a Josh Proctor, a, a Seven Banks, uh, you know a Tommy Togiai, a Teron Vincent, a, a Tyreek Smith, a lot of these guys who just haven't played a ton yet, but I think they could be good players this year. But I don't necessarily think that they're going to be quite to their potential. And I think if they all come back, you know, I think you know, you know, you never know who might you know blow up and be an NFL prospect. But if if they all come back you know, assuming that, you know, other than a Sean Wade, I mean, I think we all expect him to go after this year, yeah. but other than him, if all the guys who are eligible to come back come back, then I think the twenty twenty one defense has the potential to be really, really good because all these guys are gonna come back with more experience. But I, I, I do think the inexperience of a lot of those guys going into this year is a reason for concern.
1: Yeah, and maybe, I mean, I think the, the best version of that is you look back to the 2014 team, which obviously ended the year with a national championship, that when the season started, uh, they obviously lost to, to Virginia Tech, and they grew as the year went along, and then they were really good. Um, they they were obviously thriving at the end of the season. That was a lot of t- highly rated recruits who were um, in their first big roles, and they came back the next year. And, and, and when you look back at the talent on that 15 team, it's crazy when you go down the line and just see all those guys. And that to me is the best case scenario because you're getting a lot of players on this defense who are going into um, their first really really big um, role. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm interested to see what they'll do, but like you said, some of those guys who were just super important in um, in 2019, in 2018 they weren't at that level yet. Even you think of a guy like Chase Young. Chase Young was great as a sophomore, but he wasn't a Heisman candidate yet. So if you brought in junior Chase Young to that 2018 defense, like all of a sudden that changes things because he was he was at a different level, and I think that. You know, like you said, that the, the 2021 Ohio State defense, I am, I, I think, is going to be awesome. I just have my 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 concerns a little bit right now with what Ohio State will have in 2020, just because it's tough to bring in so many first-year starters um, like this or first-time major contributors.
0: I will say, I think a key difference is I have a lot more confidence in Kerry Combs and Greg Madison and Al Washington to put these young players in positions to succeed and develop them over the course of a year than I had in Greg Shiano, Bill Davis, and Tabor Johnson.
1: Yeah, I, I'll say this. I, I agree probably most of the part, but I have my concerns about Kerry Combs. Like, I, I, I feel like I'm a little bit on an island here because he's obviously... Um, people think of him so highly in Columbus for all the defensive backs that he's brought in and developed cuz he's an incredible cornerbacks coach he really is but i just wonder in his first year as a defensive coordinator if it'll be a flawless if that makes sense
0: yeah no i think that's fair i think he's he's unproven in that role much like uh, many of his defensive players are going to be improving in that role so i do i i think there's going to be growing pains for the defense defense this year and You know, I think when when we all the national championship hype that Ohio State gets, I think offensively they absolutely have the team to be a national
1: champion. Defensively, I'm not quite there yet. No, nor am I, Dan. You've got one more thought if you want it.
0: I'll go with this. I I feel bad dumping on someone that I think Ramsey already dumped on in the skull session this morning, but. (laughs) I did see a, a piece from Pat Forty in, in Sports Illustrated yesterday about uh, how to realign college football. And, and, I, and I, I respect the creativity. I respect the idea of you know, coming up with a, a radical way to, to realign college football. But the division that he had Ohio State in would have them playing, I think it was Akron, Ohio,
1: Cincinnati, Toledo. Toledo. It was. I think there were Ball State. I think there were five MAC teams.
0: Yeah, five or six MAC schools in that division. And and while you know, I you know, I I I get the idea of more geographic regions, and I I do think you know, there's probably going to be another round of realignment in college football at, at some point. And I think there's ways to do that. I don't think a schedule that has Ohio State playing more games against teams that it is going to blow out every single year is good for college football in any way. Okay.
1: Uh, You know that this triggered me. Um, Yes, it did. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, I thought it was an insane article. Um, I I get it. Like, I love – I love realignment talk. Like, I think some people hate it. I think it's fascinating because I think a lot of the realignment stuff makes a lot of sense and you can make some interesting points. This, to me, did not qualify as such. And if there's a world in which I have to watch Ohio State play against Ohio, Akron, Ball State, Toledo, and one other MAC team that I forgot about that they would beat by 70 every year, and I have to watch that every single season. Like, what? Like I, I I what are we even doing here? And then they would play one non conference game and this conference it would be Penn State every single year. So you play the exact same schedule every single year and five of the teams are Mac teams, I feel like I wouldn't be a college football fan anymore. <laughs> like I feel like it would be that point where it's like this is the most boring thing in the world. I don't no, know No, that is know.
0: not exciting at yeah. all. And I think in in terms of college football In any potential realignment, the goal should be to create more games that people want to see. More games that... Because I already already think the way things are right now, the reality is Ohio State plays a lot of boring games. Ohio State plays a lot of games against teams that just don't have a chance to beat it. And so, to me, any future realignment in college football, I want to see Ohio State playing more good teams. I want to see... Clemson played more good teams. Alabama played more good teams. I, I think any future realignment in college football, that's what you should be going for. And I also think you're kidding yourself if you don't think that's the way it would go. Because this thing's all about money at the end of the day. And guess what? Ohio State versus Ball State in Akron in Ohio... Those games are not going to generate good TV ratings. If you want good TV ratings, you've got to have power teams playing against power teams. So I think any future realignment in college football, that's got to be the goal of it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think my favorite realignment talk as a West Virginia fan is putting all of like Pitt, Penn State... West Virginia, Tennessee, Virginia Tech, Maryland, UVA put all those teams in the same conference Like that's the kind of uh, realignment talk that gets me going but this one where in a world in which Ohio State would travel to play at Ball State, Akron and Toledo in the same year I will pass that will be a hard pass for me yeah I mean yeah playing road games
0: against current Mac schools that's just not something I can ever see happening And, and, and to me I think you know, to me, I, I I think my my feeling is for future realignment in college football is you're likely to see more separation from a power five and a group of five, not not less. I mean, there there's a part of me that thinks they should just be completely separate. And the group of five should have its own playoff and you know, you know, maybe once a year a power five team plays a group of five team and that's it. I, I there's a part of you thinks that's the next step for college football because to me, you know, I look at the, the Boise States and the UCFs of the world and say, well, they're never going to win a national championship under these circumstances. You know, y- the best teams in these conferences go and play in these second tier bowls. I would like to see those. I would like to see those teams have their own championship structure, play for their own thing, and really separate. The Power Fives, and you can force Notre Dame into a conference if that's what has to happen here. But really, separate the haves and the have-nots because the parity between the the best teams in college football and the worst teams it's only getting bigger. And putting Ball State in the same conference as Ohio State is not going to change that.
1: All right, you want to not get triggered anymore and take some questions?
0: Yeah, no, I, I like this segment though, Colin This is a good. Idea. I feel like this. I feel yeah. like this has got some good good discussion yeah, we're, going on. We're, we're bringing this back. I'm liking it. This is this is fun. It's fun. I'll have some fun with your questions here as well. Uh, first question. This is a fun one. John Glor eighty two eighty seven asked, which college football coach and basketball coach do you find the most overrated and underrated? I'm gonna let you take the basketball ones because I, I don't. I can't. I'll,
1: I'll, no, let me say this right off the bat. I don't really. I actually didn't see this until like just right about now. I don't have good answers for this for basketball. I have takes on football. There's not anyone uh, – I, I might just – I might skip and come back next week to the basketball so I can actually think about it. Yeah. So let's just focus on
0: football then. You say you have takes. So who, who would be your guy for most overrated for football?
1: Well, let me just start actually with most underrated because okay. um, it's the guy who I may be – I don't know if I feel strongest about. But it's the guy who I think – I think people just roll their eyes when they see him. And I've rolled my eyes when I've seen him before. And I think some coaches in the industry don't necessarily love him. That's P.J. Fleck. Because I think as much as people roll their eyes at him, if I was Michigan right now, I'd fire Jim Harbaugh and hire P.J. Fleck.
0: Yeah, I mean, P.J. Fleck was one of the guys I was considering because I I, I like P.J. Fleck too, and I I do. I, I think... Yeah, there are There's a lot of guys who kind of discredit him because his style is different. But look at he's what he only, did at Minnesota a little bit of a weirdo last year.
1: Sometimes, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, he, he he took Minnesota to a top ten ranking in eleven wins last year. That's hard to do at Minnesota.
1: It is, and I think that I, I just I think I think a lot of people want him to fail because he's just a little bit of a weirdo, and sometimes I think people think that he's being disingenuous. But he's right now got Minnesota on a crazy upper trajectory that no one ever saw coming, um, and I think he's going to parlay that into a big job, and I think he'll have earned it, even though people will roll his eyes until he does something, you know, great at a at a big time um, at a big time school, which to me is is not Minnesota, even though. You know I think that he's got them in a great spot right now I think that he'll probably make one more jump up the up the coaching ladder in the next couple of years I can absolutely though, see Ohio State fans
0: hating PJ Fleck if he's the future coach of Michigan
1: oh my god Dan I mean <laughs> he is so perfect for that he's he is it is true like he's very hateable as a coach because people like I, I think it's reasonable to view him as as you know somewhat. A little bit disingenuous sometimes because if I were to act like he was, it would be fake. But you know he pulls it off. So shout out to him. I'll say that I
0: think I have a better answer for overrated than underrated um, because I was actually thinking of PJ Fleck too. But uh, I'll I'll say Mario Cristobal at Oregon because they went they went twelve and two last year. uh, One of the best teams in the country. Uh, They've been recruiting really well too, and I feel like nobody. Ever brings that name up?
1: Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. I, he's he is a he's in a fascinating spot right now because the way that they're recruiting, like I think that they're going to be the class of the the Pac twelve at least for the for the Nets a little bit. And then, me too. You know how how long does he stay there? Is he in the mix for if Alabama comes up or comes open or something like that? I don't know. He's he's gonna be fascinating to watch. But right now, you know, as as we all know. Like if you just look at recruiting rankings, you can sort of pick out who might be the the, the best team in the country in a couple of years, and you know he's gonna. It just seems like he has or he has Oregon positioned as a potential top ten team for the next for the next uh, few years at least. Stars matter. Uh, they do, as as uh, one of our colleagues or maybe even former colleagues uh, says.
0: Overrated. I've been on this one for a while. um and he's done. He's he's. I mean, he's done pretty well at, at this school, but I still just cannot get on board with this guy being one of the best coaches in college football. And that's Brian Kelly for me. Uh, I just I, I don't. You think of what Notre Dame was at one time, and I just don't think Brian Kelly's the guy that's ever going to be able to get Notre Dame over the hump and and to really be a national championship contender again.
1: Yeah, it it is. It feels like he's been at a peak now for a while. That you know, it's it's high enough that you can't be like, man, I can't believe Brian Kelly won double digit games again. <laughs> like like, you can't really fire someone for for doing that. But I'm not sure that he's ever going to get them to the point that some Notre Dame fans want him to get to, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No. That's that's just that's just, that's, that's my opinion
1: on on that one. Uh, what What do you think, Colin? I agree with that I, I you know in all honesty, like I was trying to think of coaches who I just think are totally overrated, and i don 't have um guys who I really think that of right now who who just come to mind is i can 't believe that. I guess maybe <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna laugh when I say this, but like am I allowed to say Dana Holgerson? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're allowed to. I mean, I I don't know. Like, is is he someone who's, like, actually, like, highly regarded right now? Like, he's
1: the kind of guy who Houston brought in to go win double-digit games every single season. Like, they they fired, um, gosh, I forget who was. Was it Major Applewhite ahead of him? Yeah, they fired him because he wouldn't win double-digit games every year. Like, I've got to say, Dana Holgerson is not going to do that at Houston. He's not a very good recruiter. His defences have never been good. And his offense a lot of times, you know, yes he's innovative, but you know, he's not exactly someone who I'd say I ever felt at West Virginia was just consistently producing offenses that I felt were just super efficient. Like I thought that they were generally good. But as a as a as a head coach, I think that there are some people who think or at least Thought I don't know if Think is correct anymore, but thought that he was going to come into Houston and really turn this into a team that wins 10, 11, 12 games a year, maybe even competes for a playoff spot. I just, I've never seen it. I, I really haven't. And and yes, caveat being, I'm a West Virginia fan. But I would also say that means I've seen a lot of him. And I'm just not, I'm not buying that he can be the coach that is going to reach the expectations that Houston wants.
0: Squirrel Master asked us, did they really serve Arby's at Kevin's wedding? We asked Kevin about this, and sadly can report that they did not serve Arby's at Kevin's wedding. Very unfortunate. I was disappointed to learn that, but of course want to send our congratulations out to our colleague, Kevin Harris, who just uh, got married to his wife, taylor on saturday and uh, they are currently honeymooning as we speak and uh, he'll be back at 11 warriors in a couple days but uh very happy for him and uh, we're gonna have to have him on on real Pod wednesday soon i don't think we've had him on here yet no, that's so a,
1: i will say that's a mistake on our part no
0: we need to get him on kevin's a kevin's an entertaining guy always fun to talk
1: to so we're gonna have to make that happen here uh real soon with the newlywed yeah well, we'll let's Maybe if there's a there's a very serious episode, we'll bring him on because he's really he's typically someone you uh, you think about when you're thinking about you know really serious topics. Yes. Yes. Um, little Trouty asks, which non-Buckeye team should Coach Doug's go to next? This Dan, is have all you because yeah.
0: I do not care at all.
1: <laughs> coach Doug's is a fake head coach who who uh, is all of a sudden become a phenomenon really uh that uh big cat from barstool which i know is dan's number one favorite website in the world uh, runs and he's at toledo right now and i'll make my prediction that he goes to uh wisconsin because i know that's where big cat went and I know we, that Dan is really going to have a really in-depth answer to this one. So go we, ahead. Dan, no, we need to cheers.
0: make it extremely clear that Colin was being sarcastic. Barstool is not <laughs> my number one favorite sports site, and we're just going to leave it at that.
1: Yeah, we will. Um, Daniel asks your percentage guess. It gives us three options. Um, so I guess uh, he wants us to pick. Uh, we we play the schedule as is, including all non-conference games. Uh, there are only conference games played or there's no football at all, and he wants us to give a percentage for each of those. Dan, I don't know if you've written something down or if you've thought about it, but do you have percentages?
0: Yeah, I'll be honest. I hadn't seen that question, so I, I, I don't have percentages. I I will say, though, like if I was setting the odds on what's most likely, I would lean right now towards only conference games. I, I think that would be my highest percentage, would be only conference games because there seems to be a good amount of buzz about that and I I, I think I, I think one of the biggest challenges of this whole situation that we're in right now is going to be the lack of uniformity uh, yes. around the country and I think that if you do conference games then you can at least set uniform policies in place for the Big Ten that all schools have to adhere to uh, in terms of you know, going on the road in terms of hosting teams. And I think that can potentially create a a better environment than if you're playing non conference games against schools that might not have the same standards. So I lean toward, you know, conference games only. I mean, I, I don't know. I'll say 40% because I'm, I'm not going to say more than that because I'm not confident enough to say like I'm. I'm more confident enough it's going to happen, but I'd probably say like 40%. Um, you know, play the schedule as is. Like, I think that's a, a lower percentage. Um, I don't rule out the possibility of some non-conference games, but not as is. I just don't know but I can see the Oregon game happening. I, that's that's the one to me that I've always thought is the most likely to get Axed here. I I think I'd put a higher percentage on uh, the Bowling Green and Buffalo games happening than I would the Oregon game. Uh, But there's still a chance. I mean, I you know I don't know. I'd probably put it at. I don't know. I don't have good percentages, but I'd put a different percentage on like some non-conference games versus like the entire schedule as is. Like maybe I'd put it at you know. 20 or 25 percent that there will be some non-conference games and then put it at like 15 percent that it will be played completely as is and then you know no football at all I don't know I'm probably at like 20 to 25 percent on that Uh, I really hope that's not the case but I definitely cannot rule it out Um, so I'm probably somewhere in the 20 to 25 percent range there of there just not being a football season this fall.
1: I also think it's hard right now because, like you said, like what if a certain conference team can't play, or what if you know you can maybe schedule games against maybe MAC teams, but you have to cancel the Oregon game just because it makes more sense to travel within the state or within the region. Like maybe that's something that could happen. So I think it's hard right now to break it down into three categories. I guess if I were to do that right now, if these were the only three options. I might go like 50% only conference games. And that's purely because to me, that makes most sense. Like I, it it really does. Um, It makes more sense to do that than to send teams all around the country to, to play games. And I don't know the the problem with this is I just lean, I change my mind all the time because we all get new information all the time. Like that's the hard thing about this. Like this is pure. you're, You're hearing two people just guess. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and it's really guesses that could change with new information that we get tomorrow or later today, I don't know. But I'll go like 30% the entire season gets played as is, and 20% the whole thing gets canceled. And I, like I said, really don't know. I think this is one of the hardest um, things to, to figure out right now um, that really I've ever had to figure out in, in this job because nobody knows. And that's the thing is everybody's working off of, you know, Ever-changing information, and I, I just think that's so hard to make any predictions um, for down the road. Even though Ohio State and the Big Ten and, and all college football teams are going to have to make some 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 decisions here in the in at least the near future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's more options on the table here than just like A, B, C. Like I think there's a lot of different things that can happen. I will I will say though it. I, I think the percentage chance of just a full season being played without any hitches or any drama is extremely low i mean to be honest i mean i i i i hope that that drama does not mean like stopping the season but i i I do think that there's going to be variables that get thrown in here over the course of a season and i think you know what we think might happen in september that might get adjusted as the season plays out just based on the way things that are happening but you know if it's Yes, football versus no football. Uh, You know, I am well over 50% on yes, football. Uh, How much football, how exactly the schedule is going to look, that one's still really hard.
1: Zemi07 asks a question, says, I found out the NASCAR broke the color line 14 years before the SEC did. Fred Patterson played at Ohio State in 1891. Why doesn't this hurt Southern recruiting more than it should? And Zemi07 I will speak for the both of us and say that we are just woefully underqualified to answer this question.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating question, yes, and I it wish is. we could answer it for you, but I don't really think that I can. Um, there's a lot at play there. I mean, I guess there. But one thing I, I would say is I don't know how relevant what happened many years ago is to recruiting now. I think what's most relevant to recruiting now is what schools are doing now in terms of promoting diversity and equality yes. and stamping out racism. So I think those things right now are extremely important in the climate that we live in. But do recruits necessarily care about you know when a school integrated its football team in, in the past, I, I don't know how relevant a- any of that is as long as schools have shown that they've taken the clear steps to foster a diverse environment uh, within their football programs and furthermore their athletic departments and their campuses.
1: Yeah, high schoolers make decisions on what has happened in their lifetime, not what has happened Correct. 100 plus years ago. Um, Correct. Oh, man. I even thought about this earlier when I was putting the, the questions in, and I thought, I've got to give this some time to think about, and I just forgot to give that time to think about, and that's again in Juice's question, which is, he says, pizza question from the staff's weekly forum inquiry, place and in specific order, go. Dan, do you have a go-to pizza place, or have you ever had a go-to pizza place? Well, he said not exclusive to Columbus, yes. so
0: that helps, because I, I will be honest. I don't have a go-to pizza place in Columbus. Nor
1: do I, and it's because I n- have never really liked Columbus pizza places.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. I mean, it's not... You know, I, I'm not going to start a Columbus Pizza's bad rant or anything like that. But I just think, like, all the places I've been in Columbus, they're fine. Like, they're just not... There's not one pizza place I've gone to in Columbus that's like, wow, this is really good. Like, I'm definitely gonna order from here all the time. There just isn't one Columbus pizza place that stands out to me in, in that regard. So, if I'm allowed to go not exclusive to Columbus, then I'll just go with a place that's gonna mean absolutely no but nothing to anybody listening, and, and unless they happen to be from the same area of the country that I'm from, but. Uh, you know, I think there's some good pizza places in in Massachusetts uh, where I grew up uh, the one that comes to mind is called Volturno in Worcester mass it's a they have uh, it's like you know, authentic Italian brick oven pizza uh, really really good so if you're ever in uh, Worcester Massachusetts central Massachusetts and you're in the mood for pizza uh, I highly recommend checking out Volturno
1: yeah, I did a, uh, an internship in Cape Cod for summer of 2018 covering the baseball league up there. Um, and I'm just going to pick something that I had once there because I remember it and I thought it was good. And it might have just been because I was extremely hungry when I had it or it might be really good. But I'll be honest, since I don't really have a go-to place in Columbus, I don't have a great answer for that. So I'll pick that. And if there's like one person out there who's heard of it, Maybe they even think it sucks, and that would really be unfortunate. But I'll go with Pizza Barbone, I think is what it's called. I think it was in Hyannis, Massachusetts.
0: Colin and I are in agreement. Pizza in Massachusetts is better than in Columbus. Yeah, what a shocker. Final question. Silver Sniper asked, Did OSU settle too early in the recruiting process on defensive backs? Should they have held off on some commitments to go after some bigger fish? Well, you know, first of all, I mean, there there is still a spot open at defensive back uh, because Devontae Smith decommitted on Thursday, uh, then ultimately uh, committed to Alabama on Monday. So uh, they do have an open spot there. I don't know if they necessarily settled too early, though, because I think part of it was just the fact that guys like Tony Grimes and Jordan Hancock trended away from them tony grimes literally as we speak like minutes ago just committed to north carolina uh jordan hancock committed to clemson so you know i think in terms of you know settling on guys you know if if we're talking like a denzel burke maybe was settling which i'm not sure if he was because i think he's a pretty highly regarded guy um but i'm not really sure if they necessarily settled i mean i think uh They'd love to get a guy like Derek Davis, uh, the safety from Pennsylvania. I think they, they'd love to get him uh, as kind of a you know cherry on top uh, to that defensive back class. And I think that would uh, certainly be a, a big get that they'd like to get. But I'm not sure that I really perceive what they've done at defensive back as, as settling uh, for lesser players. I think that they just might have realized that other guys who are maybe highly ranked uh, were not going to come to them.
1: Yep, I agree. I think that the issue is not that they settled. I think that the issue is that you went from having Kerry Combs to Taver Johnson to Jeff Halfley to Kerry Combs in the span of three years. And when you have that much turnover on the coaching staff, it's hard to go after and land the Sean Wage and Jeff Okudas and those five-star guys. And I think if, if, if Kerry Combs ended up with J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock at cornerback, that would be an astounding first season, first cycle as uh, Ohio State's, um, I guess, defensive coordinator, but we can still call him at least the de facto defensive backs coach. I think that would be astounding, and it seems like that's what they're going for. You just can't say that they settled for these guys too early because they could have got the five stars later because I just don't know that that's the case when you have this kind of turnover um, on the coaching staff. And, and I also think, like, um, I think what they have right now, it's 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 a solid group. I, I, I get that. You know, I've said before, maybe they're missing that five-star cornerback. They're missing the Jeff Okuda. I, I think Ohio I think Ohio State, especially among its underclassmen, they could use that kind of guy. Then no doubt about it, three years, then become a first-round pick. That kind of guy. But right now, I think they've got about as they're doing about as well as you can do when you bring in your fourth coach in four years.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. There's only so many of those Jeff Okudas and Sean yes. Ways out there. So, yeah, yeah, would they have loved to get Tony Grimes? Yeah, I think the impression I got was Tony Grimes ultimately decided he wanted to stay a little closer to home, ultimately uh, choosing to go to North Carolina. Uh, so, you know, y- you're not going to be able to get everybody. I mean, that's just the way it is. Y- y- Ja'Kalen Johnson's ranked as the number four cornerback in the class so I think he's a he's a pretty elite guy that they're getting that's got the potential to be that next Kerry Colm's first round pick I think he's certainly a guy that's got that kind of potential and then you know, you look at the other guys I mean Jalen Johnson he's he's from what I've heard uh from our Zach Carpenter he's probably going to be a linebacker so of the other guys they have Andre Turrentine, Denzel Burke, jansen dunn they're all ranked in the top 202 nationally so you know you're not you're not talking about them settling for some scrubs here all these guys they've brought in are nfl potential kind of guys and like colin said especially you're talking to you know, these five stars you've got to really build relationships with those guys early to really have a great chance to go get those guys and, and Kerry Combs is coming in playing catch up so i think to get the guys that he's gotten as quickly as he did I think has been really impressive. And and now it's really about looking ahead to, you know, like I said, I think Derek Davis is the one guy, I think, really a defensive back that they're really still pursuing hard. Maybe, yeah, if they can flip Jordan Hancock, that I think those would be the two guys uh, that they're really pushing for at this point. But then you look ahead to that 2022 class. You've really got to be working to build those relationships now that you have this, you know, all the way from the beginning, have the chance to build those relationships if you're Kerry Combs. Uh, I think that's where, that's where you really would like to see them go out and land that five star guy, land one of those uh, really elite defensive backs uh, when you've had the time to build those kind of relationships. Yeah. Uh,
1: with Kerry Combs, like I have my um, concerns, I guess I would call them, about you know, him at defensive coordinator living up to um, what Jeff Halfley did last year. But as a recruiter, I have no concerns about him. He's going to bring in tremendous talent, and I think that that's why I look at Jordan Hancock this year. If he can flip him from Clemson, you bring him and J.K. Johnson along with the rest of the defensive backs, um, and, and obviously Derek Davis would be a great get as well. I just think that right now he's, he's doing about as well as he could, um, and I don't look at what he has right now as he you know, accepted commitments too early. Well, that'll do it for this week's
0: show. Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Hope you enjoyed the uh, new segment. Uh, Give us your feedback. Let us know uh, what you thought about us uh, talking about our our free things that we were thinking about. And uh, we hope you guys uh, all enjoy your uh, 4th of July. A long weekend for some of you out there. So I hope you all enjoy that. And we'll talk to you again next week.